one end to the other, from the triumphal entry to the persecution of questions and teardowns, trying to find some fault with the Lamb of God, poking and turning and trying to twist him up. It's going to be a week of confirmation as well. It's a week that we call the Passion Week. It will follow something we call a Good Friday, which is the day of his death. It will also be the week of his resurrection that will look towards the ascension of Jesus to follow. But what I want to do this week and next week is to share on the results of the resurrection itself. I'll be very honest with you. To give me just one week to talk about resurrection, really, there's so much more that needs to be understood. And so what I want to do is I want to take a look at our text this morning. And as we do so, I think it's important to lay this foundation. Now, now we'll get into a lot more as we go along. Some of you that have been around on Wednesday nights during our series are going to be familiar with some of it, but that's okay because there's a lot more to it than just what we get to discuss as well. But notice with me, beginning in Romans, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. Understand that was the gospel preached in the first decades of the Christian church. That was the message. This text tells us what a Christian is. Not, how shall I say it, not keeping some law or a, 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 a new behavior, how's that one? Nor are we people who believe in God. Did I got your attention yet on that one? I mean, even the, even the devils believe in God and tremble, right? So we're not people who just believe in God. And I, and I say that because this is an incredible, uncomprehendable relationship between creature and creator. I mean, I want us to look again at who a Christian is, okay? It is a, the person who will confess with their mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and they shall be saved. 
the result is righteousness, salvation. Understand me when I say that's a Christian. They believe in their heart. I'm talking about core, right at the deepest level, which dictates from there to the outside behavior of themselves. They, they, they believe, they believe, which, which is the heart. They confess, which is from the mouth. They're public about it. Jesus Christ is the Lord God. He is ruler of all creation. And I say that because I'm not talking just about earthy, earthy. I'm talking about this universe. He is the creator and ruler of that creation completely. And at the heart of this statement, at the heart of what Paul is expressing to the Romans, at the heart of that statement is the resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead. Look, Christianity, being a Christian, is all about the resurrection. Amen? So, you know, I, I say that because that's the precept. So turn to your neighbor and tell him it's all about the resurrection. So rise up. I'm just kidding. Anyway, but I want to get into this particular point because it's after the supper that the disciples share, that we call the Last Supper. After, after the statement that Jesus will make in that supper that somebody is going to betray me. And then on top of that, that Peter, you're going to deny me. They will go from that setting and they will go to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, it says they came, and that goes back to the Gospel of Matthew, but that means that Judas, of course, he'd be there. He'd be leading the way. But remember, it's, it's obvious the Romans, the Roman army of occupation there in the land, as well as the temple, and you got Ananias and Kephira, and, and Kephias, I'm sorry, and the Sadducees. These guys are terrified of Jesus, all right? Let's just put it out there plain and simple. They really don't know if they're going to be able to pull this thing off. They didn't know what he might do. And, and so here's Judas, right? And he must, he must have been pretty uptight. It says that he comes with a great multitude that have shields and spears because they're ready for warfare following Judas into this mess. But then the temple, remember, I'll say it again, the temple had its own police, sort of like a National Guard kind of police, if you will. And they carried their own ammunition on top of it. So the temple guards, you got the Roman guards, they all come to arrest Jesus, who didn't even carry a pocket knife. Think about this. They all had the torches. I love this picture in my head. And these guys, can you see this mess? There's thousands of these guys, and, and their torches are flickering uh, you know, in, in, in the night, and the shadows on the trees and everything else, 
And as they come, and, and I mean, you try to keep thousands of men with all their shields and the clanging and the swords and the spears and the torches, both from the Roman side as well as the temple side, you try to keep them quiet as they're approaching. It wasn't some shock that here they come. But as they come, what does Jesus do? He steps forward. Do you understand what I mean by Jesus stepping forward? What he's saying is, I'm in control. Jesus steps forward and he said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus, the one from Nazareth. Well, I'd love to take you on a journey of what that means. And Jesus said, I am, which is the name of God. And you have thousands of men from the Romans to the temple people to the temple guards and Judas, a whole lot of them go, they, they, they fell out on their backs. Their swords go flying all over the place. It's a, it's a total chaos. And they lay there like dead bugs on their back. I'd say, you know, I'd Jesus, it's over, folks. Can't touch this. <laughs> you, you know, honestly, you get that picture. And I think it looks, you know, to me it's kind of silly right now. Thousands of temple and Roman soldiers all laying there on their backs with their legs up in the air. You know, it's just one of those pictures. And Jesus helps them up. And he holds out his hands. And as he holds out his hands, they had the audacity to arrest him. He's already established, guys, you're not in control. No man takes my life. I give myself to you. And that is the very, that is, can I say how important that is? He gives himself. He is not a person who's in the mode of reacting. He's in control the entire time. And therefore, he is acting. What he does is his action and his choice. No one's making him do it. He, he stood before Pilate. Remember that? Pilate said, for goodness sake, God, come on, say something, do something. He said, I have the power to release you or I have the power to crucify you. Talk to me. And that's one of the only times that Jesus did talk. He says, uh, Pilate, you have no I mean, Rome, they, they, they had the power of the entire world at that day. And Jesus says, no, you, you don't have any power. You can't do anything unless it's being worked out between me and my Father. He says, essentially, I may be standing before you looking as I do, but I'm in control here. He's saying... Do your worst. Do your worst. I will take your worst and turn it around to be your salvation. Understand that. And guess what? It hasn't changed a bit. He takes our worst 
and turns it around for salvation. In essence, he gave himself. And, and, and remember, remember, remember those words. Remember those words. These, these, these words haunt me all the time. Father, say it with me. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who's them? Well, it's got to be the soldiers, right? I mean, they weren't just soldiers. They were a crucifixion battalion is who they were. They were professionally chosen and trained. That's because they were actually perverts. They absolutely reveled in, in the ability and the idea of giving another person pain. They were trained in cruelty. They knew exactly where to put the nail so that it would send a scream of pain up your arm and out through all of your nerves. It wouldn't be a soft scream. It would be a blood-curdling scream. They were experts in pain. They were experts in torture. Them. Forgive them. But it's not only them. It's their commanders who are standing over them, watching to make sure everything is done. But then you got Pilate. I mean, Pilate is over all this, correct? So Pilate's part of them. And to set Pilate up for this, I, I, I mean, it was the high priest that got him going. It was the worst day when the temple and the worst enemies, the military of Rome, end up shaking hands and saying, we've got a common cause. And you have religion joined with the military, and they said, crucify him. So Ananias is, is part of them. And then Herod. Remember Herod? He, he was nothing more than a drunken, crazy man who just wanted a show. And, and what about the crowd that shouted, crucify him? Well, what about all those who, who didn't say anything? What about the disciples who ran like frightened rabbits out of that garden? And Peter, who denied him, and John, who just sat there in the courtyard right under the nose of Ananias and, and kept his mouth shut. Whether it's the Pharisees, whether it's the Sadducees, or the soldiers, you can keep on going, you can keep on going, you can keep on going until you end up with one big organic movement. That's why we say, you know what? We were all there. His voice, you could say it echoes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Father, release them. They don't know what they're doing. Them. Forgive them. What were them saying? I mean, what are they really doing? I mean, why? What they were doing was saying, shut him up. Silence him. We don't want to hear him anymore. Put him out of your sight. We're done with him. can't believe we even started it. Understand this. They have evaluated him as utterly worthless. That's the meaning of crucifixion. If you're a citizen of Rome, you couldn't be crucified. You had to be a worthless, nobody, 
scum of the earth, homeless, and no connection. Then they could crucify you. So they look at Jesus and the Jewish people, and they said, if anyone hangs on a tree, their corpse hangs on a tree, they are cursed of God. So what did they say? They said, we must have him crucified. It's no good just, just coming out at night and mugging the guy during the middle of the night. We got to have him publicly crucified so we can all say he's cursed of God. While the Romans are saying he's a worthless nobody. That's what they said. They're all mocking as they crucify him. They come by the cross and they mock him. And remember, I know the pictures and the art that we have of Jesus with, with, with the crown and the, and, the, and the sash. You didn't get crucified with any clothing. You were totally naked. They'd yell at him and say, you're a fraud. If he was the Messiah, he, he, he'd come down from the cross. That's them. And I hear Satan's voice in the, in the background as well saying, I told you, I told you. I could have given you every kingdom of the world and all its glory, and this is what you choose? Don't ever underestimate the enemy. By the time they had finished lashing Jesus, his entire body, Picture this, understand this. It would be too graphic to really show it. But his entire body was just open skin, hanging. You could see the bones. You could see the organs within him. It was total blood. Do you get that? Total blood. When we say the blood of Jesus shed, it's like saying, you know, the way we think sometimes, it was just a neat little puddle of blood. You know, had some blood smeared on him and, and stuff, you know. No, please understand. He became blood. He became blood. And then, of course, you know, they, they take the, 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 they put the thorns on his head and, and, and jam it down. You've got to remember the thorns were at least that big. Hmm. I mean, you, you know how, have you ever gotten a cut on your head? I got one, there's a little boo-boo right there. But when you get a cut on your head, you know how profusely the blood runs out of your forehead. They jammed that crown of thorns into his head so his whole face is blood. They look at the man, and what do they see? They see blood. And that's the only way we can look at it. They say that we by his stripes are healed. I think it's more like saying by the bruise of his entire body is the healing. He's beaten into a bloody pulp. Sorry. And that's, not, that's nothing new to the Romans. I mean, I, mean, I said again, they, they enjoyed that. They loved it. That was their business. Every person they crucified which I'll say it again, would be thousands. That was the Roman way. When you said the word crucifixion, the whole world 
trembled at the power of Rome because of crucifixion. So these guys had crucified literally thousands and thousands of times over. Every boom, hit of the hammer, every flash of the whip that they put on these individuals, what they would hear from the mouth of these individuals were nothing less than the curses and the spitting and the screaming of rage that would come through them. And they would hear it again and again, calling on whatever God that they worshiped, saying, damn you! God put you in hell! They would shout to those soldiers and to the soldiers that was part of their foot. Oh, did you hear that one? Oh, that's a pretty good one. I hadn't heard that one in a long time. But see how much screaming they could get out of the people was their whole goal. But every scream was a curse. Every scream was an empty threat to say, my God will damn you in hell. Can you imagine? I mean, think about it. Really? This time? And they look, they look at this body that is blood, totally covered from head to foot. And out from that blood doesn't come revenge. There's not a curse coming out of his mouth. Out from what they have just done to him comes this. Father, release them, for they know not what they do. Can you take that in for just a moment? Just take it in. This is just one little verse in the Bible. It's just one sentence. Hold it. And, and remember, he didn't just say it once. He would say it again and again and again. He, he could hardly talk, realize what they've done to him, friend. He's already in shock. And once they, they got him on the cross, I mean, think about it. If you put your hands up and then you let your whole body just sink down, you, you try and talk from that position and the condition he's in, you had to push your body up, which meant that you were pushing up on the nails in your feet, as well as your back, which was been, had been lashed to, 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 to just shreds of pieces against that rough wood. You'd be pushing, and that's in order to talk. So he pulls himself up, and what comes out? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't know. Friend, to me, this is hardly unearthly. And do you realize that they have never heard anything like this before? Never. Being cursed is these guys' business. And now they, they're being faced with something they have never seen before. They've never imagined. That, I mean, how do you report something like this? How, what's going on? Father, forgive. The compassion. He's, he's thinking 
of his prosecutors or persecutors more than himself. Do you grab that? He's thinking of his persecutors more than himself. Father, forgive them. It's forgive them. Forgive them. That is, he loves them to the end. He's saying to them, uh-uh, guys, I'm not quitting until this is through, until this work is done. And he takes what they give and he doesn't say a word. He didn't say a word. What, whatever, whatever I expect, you know, I, I would assume some, some flash of rage will come out of that face. Come on, man. I mean, really, you're God. And you're going to put up with this? Aren't you going to let them know who you are? And instead, he takes it. When he's already proven, he doesn't have to. He takes it. And taking it, he says, forgive them. I've made this statement before. I'll make it again. And I hope we can get it forever straight. Honestly, seriously. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our God, revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, is not interested in punishing you. Do you understand that? God is not against you. He's not out to punish you. Can we get it straight? Our consequences get us in all sorts of messes. And the results of those choices will tear up our lives. But God is not interested in punishing you. For every blow of the hammer... For every lash of the whip, he says, Father, forgive. Because he's not interested in getting even. Please get this, because this is the beauty of God. This is the glory of this. this, this I mean, as, as, they were, as they are in the act of sinning against him, he is responding with everything they do, forgiving, 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 for everything that they're doing, every hammer blow, he's forgiving, forgiving, and he's including the Father in what he is saying. See, that, 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 that's, if I was to put it this way, it's sort of the self-centeredness of, of our human that demands punishment that that revenge right i'll tell you right now friend that is not born of god it's born of a lie the cry of the holy trinity is give me my beloved children back release them to me that's the cry of God. And really, let's, let's be upfront about this. Isn't that among the best of human nature? That, picture it with me, 
that if your child, your child is lost, if it's in the clutches, let's say, of a kidnapper, <laughs> what's justice? Oh, we're going to catch the kidnapper. Hey, I don't care if you catch the kidnapper. Give me my child back. And they say, oh, you know, God was satisfied that sin was punished. And I, I hear a statement like that, and I say, what a poor, sick God. Now, let me understand this God, this God, this God that he's revealed in Jesus is never, ever satisfied till he has you in his arms. Because you're the lost one. Understand this. And you're precious to me. He's saying, I will not rest until I find you. I'm coming in to get you. Listen. Just, just think about this for a second. Here he is laying on that cross as the nails are being pounded into his hands to produce the, long, the loudest scream and, and to hit every nerve within his body, the feet. Can you imagine a nail being put through your two feet? Can you imagine the pain that he's in at that moment as he's laying there, the bloody pulp with flesh hanging all over, seeing, seeing his liver, his stomach, his parts of his lungs, the bones that, that are being exposed, every joint, his face marked, nothing but blood. That's all you see. You don't even recognize him. Can you, can you understand for a minute that as he's laying there on that cross and they're enjoying it, that they didn't ask to be forgiven? It's the last thing on their mind. No interest in it. He initiated it. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't. They don't even know that they're bound in darkness and that they need release. And honestly, friend, that's true of all of us. You don't know you were bound until you were released. I tell people it's like not knowing you were asleep until you wake up and then you find out everything you missed. I do that pretty regularly in the chair I sit in when I have to ask my wife what happened. And you know what else we do? We, we, we can and we do sometimes give the air that you have to be sorry. When we think the, the father and the son are almost like sitting there biting their nails saying, boy, I hope they believe because otherwise, otherwise this whole thing is shot. So he didn't really do much is what we're saying. He just got the thing started. It's basically you that saves yourself because you have to have enough faith and you have to be sorry enough instead of this, which, which leaves me back to what we just talked about, quite speechless. 
that while they're in their acts of sin, they do not even know they are bound and in need of being released. He takes the initiative and he, through bloodied lips and the screams of that awful place, while the others are being crucified, through those lips come that, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's no ifs, there's no ands, there's no maybes, there's no perhaps. God in Jesus Christ, in perfect union with the Father, says, forgive, because they know not what they do. I thought it was going to say, forgive them, because they just put a nail in my hand. He doesn't bother with the specifics. Have you noticed that? He doesn't bother with everything that they've said. He doesn't bother with everything that they did. He goes beyond that and says, Father, forgive them. In fact, what the word forgive actually means is release them. Release, re relieve. not saying, okay, I'm not going to be mad at you any longer. Okay, I'm not going to hold a grudge. Release them. Release them from what? Release them from not knowing what they're doing because they're doing, they wouldn't be doing if they were cognizant. And so release them, not from a long list of all the bad that I've done, no, the real question is, why? why did you do that? And until you can handle that, you'll just, you'll just be doing it again next week. All our sin, sins, they, they spew out of a, a, an inner corruption that the Bible calls darkness. And so he says, they, they don't know, Father. They don't, they, they don't see. Father, release them from the darkness, which is so intense. That darkness that the Bible speaks of, it's the very essence of what sin itself is producing. In fact, it is so intense that what they were doing, they actually believed was right. You got to get this, because they didn't set out to say, well, let's do something insane this morning, shall we? No. That man was sincere. In that darkness, you are sincere over the dumbest, most insane things. They believed it was good. Pilate believed he had to be crucified in order to keep the Jews quiet. I mean, that, that was his job. And also, he, he said that he was a king, and that's a threat to Caesar, and Caesar certainly believed it was good, and, and a great idea. And all the other people believed it was a good idea because they were told it was a good idea. And, and for the good temple, for the good God that they worshipped, and then the good of Rome, I mean, it's a profound darkness, friends. It's a, it's a terrifying darkness. In that darkness, I don't know what I'm capable of because it's so dark. 
I don't know what's going to come out of the pit next. And friend, we've lost ourselves in the darkness. We don't know who we are, and of course, listen to me carefully, in the darkness, we invent our God and the way he does things. Because if you can't see the real one, you invent one that fits. So this question, what does Jesus mean? Believe. They know not what they do. How are they going to be released? I mean, really, something's got to be done. They can't, they got, they can't, you can't just walk away from this. And please understand me. God does not need to punish someone in order to say, you are forgiven. Did you hear that? God does not need to punish someone in order to say to them that they're forgiven. Hmm. He just loves you, so he releases you. But how does that release take place? How does it take place? God himself must and release us. We cannot release ourselves because the darkness involves what we think are the best things that we can do. And truthfully, we don't even see the need for being released. Would you understand me if I said to you, Adam didn't break a law, he broke a relationship. Hear me very loud and clear. Especially those who are locked in a darkness of thinking and with all the pride that goes beyond, behind it and all those walls you're putting up right now keep from hearing what the Spirit is trying to say to you from within you. Sin is not just a list of bad things. Now, quite frankly, it's more like a diary. And the New Testament speaks of its corruption. You can call it a virus of death if you'd like. So, so what does the Creator who holds every human do? into, into the darkness. He's going to find you. That's what the incarnation is all about. God, who holds everything together, now becomes one, a human, because he's going to get you. Love is not going to let you go. He's the shepherd who finds his sheep. He came unto his own, and his own didn't even know, know him, nor did they want him, because who does? I mean, who does he think he is? In what he, look, he's continually facing the darkness. They'll throw out everything possible this week at him to find corruptness, to find 
some fault with him. Just anything they can find to pin and say, aha! He came into the darkness and he continually is facing the darkness. He's continually facing the lie and continually responding with the truth and with light. But how will he get inside the darkness? The only way inside the darkness is that he's going to have to submit to the darkness. Do you grab that? That is why he never spoke. It says he was oppressed, afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep is silent before his shearers. So he did not open his mouth. Do you realize that was written 700 years plus before Christ came? I mean, I don't know how you look at it, but it must be terribly important that he didn't open his mouth. And then Peter says that while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered threats, kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, and therefore he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. What's it say? He said all that to him. And you know what? He didn't say you're wrong. He said, I accept that. And we look at him and we say, you, you know, this must be crazy. And he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say, no, you know, that's not true. Look, do you grab this when I say he takes it? He's, he's submitting to the darkness. They nail his hand to the cross. He just says, I'll take that. And he takes it. He's entering into a new kind of relationship, not one as creator, but one who is coming inside the darkness. He's saying, I'm going to know you at your worst. That's why all the restraints are off. I, I put myself into your hands. Do your worst, because I've got to come into your darkness and know you at your worst. And when I've come into the heart of your darkness and I know it's cost me every piece of my flesh, every lash of the whip, every hit of the hammer, that was the cost of submitting to darkness, to get inside our darkness. And as he is there, he is one mass of Blood inside our darkness, knowing us at our worst. And he says, I'm here. I'm here right where the whole thing starts. Now, Father, release where they don't know what they're doing. Father, bring them out. That's what the blood of Jesus is all about. Those who were crucified. That blood was splattered all over them. 
all over those soldiers. You, do you get that? It's not some neat little, it covers, but it splatters them. Their blood, the, 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 their blood screams, curses at them. But this blood is reaching out and saying, I love you. blood is but the cost of getting into the darkness. So now he says, out of this blood I say you're released. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world into himself. The blood of Jesus Christ. Look, look, the message of that blood comes into every nook and cranny of the darkness of your soul. And it says to you, release, 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 release. He did what? Release. Whore! Release. Release. The blood embraces you so that you are washed in the blood, and with every embrace of the blood, he says, I love you, I love you, I love you. You cannot do anything bad enough to stop me. Remember, it was said to the people who were the torturers and the murderers of God, as well as us, the final finale, he goes into death by the edict of the Father and by the life that he is, something happens. Death dies. No. I don't, I don't, I, not, no. Death was not defeated. That tells me death is, death dies. Resurrection isn't dead and it's not just that he came out from death. Resurrection means death itself died. And therefore, it means the effect of death is literally, my friend, rolled back as if it never was. And now, now, I in him, for, 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 for me to live is, Christ. And for Christ to live is, is, is me. And where he is, I am. And where I am, he is. And when he rises from the death, he carries me with him. He carries me to the Father and says, we're home. We're home. Here we are. Father, forgive them, release them, dismiss it all away from them, make it as if it never happened. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord, whoever will call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Jesus. is our salvation. He became our salvation through the pit of hell. Do you realize God's still in hell? He's the landlord. He owns the keys. Do you think there's some place he isn't? think about what he's done for me. I can't escape the words he has for me. How he submitted to my darkness and of my worst, he said, I'll take it. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking into our hearts today. God, let us not walk out of here untouched by your love for us, or just the compassion. May the darkest dark in the deepest heart of every individual in this place hear those words, Father, forgive them. For in that darkness we have created our own God in the concept of one who fits what we believe. We can't see. It's too dark. enter into that darkness. And become light. For I know that in individuals here this morning, Lord, there are screams going out in their spirit. Screams that are fighting what they are being confronted with in truth and in light. 
They're fighting it because of where they are and what they've conceived, and it fits them, and they don't want to leave. They don't need release. They don't need any kind of help. But Lord, this morning, oh, something's different. Something's changing. There are blinded eyes being opened. And in some cases, yeah, they're wanting to run from it, but in other cases, Lord, I thank you that they're running to. You don't bring some list of wrongs they have done, what all they need to do. This is nothing that they can accomplish on their own. They're lost. But you have come into that lostness to lead them out. So I pray in this service this morning there is a surrender <laughs> sounds silly but there is a surrender to love a surrender to healing a surrender to salvation a surrender Spirit, let them speak, Jesus, this morning, as you love on them, unlike at any other time that they've been loved before. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? want to talk, just go ahead and take them out to the altar. This is a very precious time. And he's not there. He's just being lonely. He's not even in the same room. But this morning, Because right now, as you've received from God, inside you know there's more to receive. This is scratching the surface. There's something going on inside that's stirring up inside of you. There's light coming in. And it's saying, Don't stop receiving what God has for you in spirit, in truth, in light. 
as well as an experience of God. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make a, a formal closing statement. I'm just going to open the altar cup. Why do I do that? Sometimes it's just to open yourself up to him. Time is spent pleasant. And let presence do its work. Maybe you're here this morning and your life has been saying yes to that relationship that we've been talking about. There's a moment to step out and just simply surrender in a way. Let me, let me just tell you this. God's doing something in your life because he loves you. You really think he's out to punish you? Really? Where does that lie come from? says something quite different. That's why he comes into our lives. If you're here today, don't push this away. Because of what just rings up in your own head, darkness, concept. But I come to you and say, if you believed in your heart, that Jesus was raised from the dead and confessed with your heart. The result is a life-changing Your life, the result of a life-changing To have a true relationship with God not contingent on how good my life becomes. Your life becomes complete when that changes over you. So, my friend, this morning in this place, I'm going to open these altars as we sing. I want to invite you there'll be people here to pray for you, with you, if you'd like. But we're just going to believe God this morning. Lord, lay your hand upon me. Holy Spirit, finished work of Christ. Complete that which you have begun. Let's find that place of prayer, shall we? I can 